Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be at this holy place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. Allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break the chains of all evil and sin that holds us captive. May the service be cursed. All the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. Allow us to discover your shining countenance. And lay this service in your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Пройдут печали испытания, не будешь лить ты больше слез, и все не взгоды, все страдания, испадетина, твой Христос, и все не взгоды. Все страдания изгладит дивно Твой Христос, когда залито сердце кровью, когда душа твоя скорбит, Он подойдет тебе. Yeah. 
так у кого из вас есть Библии, можете открыть вместе со мной знакомое для нас место Писания. So that we can prepare ourselves and meet the requirements of His Holiness, His Perfection. Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Call to Perfection. I want to focus our attention and remind us of this first phrase so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is a strong phrase because in Hebrew this first word so that means Yahweh. God. This is the first word that had resonated in the universe, the very first word, let there be light, or so there be light. It is this word that is commanding, and it was turned by Christ toward his disciples. That's why it's not just an offer or kind of an alternative, but it is a military command. Uh, non-fulfillment of which will result in death. And therefore, this promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all time and generations, and this commandment is addressed by Christ to his disciples. Therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will never be able to have because to fulfill this command we have stopped to study the purpose of God's righteousness in the heart of a person and the question what purpose is the righteousness of God in our heart intended to fulfill and specifically we have been studying that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony in which we with the law died to the law so that we could live for the one who died and rose so that in this manner we can receive affirmation of our salvation in the new tablets that are intended to give God the basis to give us the promise not through the law but through the righteousness of faith just as he had given it to Abraham and his seed. Romans chapter 4 verse 13 For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We have noted that the righteousness of faith is defined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God presented in the gospel word of the messengers of God with the head of a person who represents the fatherhood of God because the faith of God is the gospel word of God. Isaiah writes, faith is from hearing the word of God. And our faith, in translation, means obedience to the word of God, obedience to the will of God, 
obedience to this faith. And so the promise of the peace of God is given only to those people who obey the order of God, cooperation with which he sends us his word through the mouth of the messengers of God. So this order does not include in quotation marks, I don't understand so, or I have my own head. These kind of people will be uprooted or plucked out of those people who are preparing themselves for salvation. Therefore, the covenant of peace in the heart of a person is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messengers of God. In previous services, we, in a certain format, as far as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, have already studied the first six signs and we have stopped to study the seventh sign. This is our ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God. But above all these, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. You see, the first verse that we had read in relation to this sermon, Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, and this particular passage that we are studying today, they are relative to one another, and they call to the same purpose. But here we have noted that according to these words, the rule of the peace of God in our heart is possible only on one condition. If we are clothed in the selective love of God, and if we are clothed in the selective love of God. Why do I use the term selective love of God? Because holy, the holy love of God is the selective love of God. Holiness separates the light from darkness, the, what is pure from what is unpure. God loves those who love him, and he despises those who hate him. And he wants us to leave Babylon, and so that we do not touch what is unclean. Therefore, God's love is selective, meaning holy. In the selective love of God, which is the atmosphere of the peace of God, contains good, wonderful, eternal, and incomprehensible to our mind goals of God that are called to build unique and peaceful relationships between God and His children. Because Christ had loved not the world, but His church, and He gave Himself up for His, for his church so that she could be holy and unblemished before him in love. God had loved the world and gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In this manner, uh, the translation is not quite correct. If he had loved the whole world, why then he destroy the world and save only everyone who believes? Because the original text says that God loves, God had loved everyone who believes in this world so that he gave his own one and only son so that whoever believes in this world will not perish but have eternal life because this same apostle John writes that the world is our enemy that there is nothing good in it and that we must separate ourselves from the world and from evil because all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father god cannot love something like this he loves something that is relative to him that belongs to him that is a part of him that's why when a 
person is born of God, he sees this uh, relative nature in him and he falls in love with it. And therefore, in Scripture, the character of the selective love of God through the gospel word of the messengers of God, we are viewing in the light of seven different dignities. These are the dignities or the virtues that we are studying that define the selective love of God. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. We have noted that each individual virtue or the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. Second, these virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherent to the essence of God. Third, these virtues are the great and precious promises given to us through Christ and in Christ. Fourth, these virtues are the incorruptible treasures and riches which we must become enriched with. This is referring to the riches of Christ that are incorruptible, that to the end days will be revealed by faith, by the power of this faith in the heart of a person. And God is going to reveal this. Who is he going to reveal it to? To those who have this salvation, in whom salvation is affirmed, who have placed into circulation the deposit of their salvation. And therefore, to enter into the inheritance of these virtues in the light of these seven unearthly characteristics is possible only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, which is impossible while being in the state of infancy, because infants are swayed by every kinds of winds of teaching, and they are constantly harassing the Holy Spirit. They don't understand the hovering of the Holy Spirit. They are swayed by seductive winds. Only when a person leaves infancy, only then he receives the opportunity to finally come close to God, truly. And the means that we are called to enact for the acceptance of the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. The means is the faith of God. It is the Word of God. It is the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, which we accept in our heart. And then the Holy Spirit begins to reveal it in our hearts by the power of His Urim, or the power of, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the fruit of our spirit, we are made partakers of God's essence, because of which the proclamation of the faith of our heart becomes equal to the words that come from the mouth of God. For the true virtue expressed in the seven dignities and characteristics of the selective love of God has nothing in common with human love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. All three kinds of loves that are known to us, filio, friendly love, eros, this is love in relation to a man and a woman, as well as a relative love, storgis, they all are blemished and are used 
for selfishness and they are not consistent. Meaning, you might say, you are my wife, you are my uncle, you are my mother, that's why you owe me. You owe me. You see, this kind of love is always built on you owe me. It tries to take from you. And if it compliments you, it's only because it wants to take something from you. If it wouldn't want to take something from you, it wouldn't make compliments to you or gift you flowers and things. It only does this in order to bring you into bed. And when it has done so, then you are not needed by her. This is what tolerant love is like. That today is made as a head of the globalization of the whole world. And I believe that all rulers who uphold this order, they are going to be ashamed. The American rulers will be ashamed because the church has missed this fact. It has allowed this rulership. In America, the church can do all that it wants. It can th throw out these this bunch of millionaires, but it is walking the tightrope because it, the church has also become tolerant. But still, there remain very few people who believe in the holy love of God and who resist and challenge this tolerance that destroys familial ties. It is a selective love of God in the format of seven virtues that is called to destroy the power of death in our bodies and in its place reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our earthly bodies into the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God in the seven virtues is unconditional. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God, His omnipotence, and His absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. Whereas a tolerant love of man toward man can be easily used for selfish purposes. Here how the pages of scripture define the strength of the love of God. This is one of the many places of scripture. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. We have noted that the level of the love of God is defined by the level of the power of the hatred of God toward evil and those who practice evil because it is impossible to despise evil or unrighteousness without looking at its characters. There is no abstract good or, or abstract evil that is not in man. There are carriers of good and there are carriers of evil. There are carriers of righteousness and carriers of lies. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. 
And this means that he has hated lawlessness in the carriers of lawlessness, and he has loved righteousness in the carriers of righteousness. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. So the goodness of God's face is toward, turned toward the righteous. By only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, do we express God's reaction to good and to evil. From which it follows that the love of God is a love that is virtuous, knowledgeable, self-controlled, patient, godly, and contains brotherly kindness, and it is called to bring us to the fullness of the stature of Christ or to perfection, so that we can sign, shine with the Son of God on the just and on the un unjust. Considering, however, that these seven virtues do not have analogies in the earthly dimension of the human lexicon, the love of God is a basis and atmosphere of the moral law that unveils the essence of God as well as the essence of the kingdom of heaven. And this is not all. The love of God, agape, is a sovereign love that is unconditional only in relation to those people whom it chooses to understand it. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. I want our hearts to not be doubtful whether or not I am chosen by God or not. It doesn't depend on God, it depends on you, because whom he foreknew, God foresees ahead of time. And that's why to foreknow means that when a person hears the truth, he has foreknown that this kind of person will meet, will desire this mercy and come to the light. And therefore, God foreknows this person so that, or chooses this person so that he can be his, his chosen one. He will bring this person through darkness, through tribulation, despite his many downfalls. But if he has the desire to be holy, to be separated from evil, God is going to bring him to this. And there are those people who come to win something from God. By hearing the truth, they do not look at the conditions. They look at the reward. And then he, he despises these people. He had brought many out of Egypt, but he led into the promised land. Not many. Why? Because not many of them God found favor against. They did not want to meet with God. They did not want to be the royal priesthood. They did not want to do so. They wanted material prosperity. 
and they always mumbled and grumbled and they wanted to even stone Moses and Aaron by saying where are these vineyards that you were promised that we were promised who are you and so forth and only the mercy of God protected Moses and Aaron and God wanted to one time destroy all but Moses stood in the gap and he sent Aaron with the censers so that he can stand before those who are dead and living and God had seized the destruction God, Moses had asked for God not to destroy those who were blameless God needed this person Moses to stand in the gap for these people because those who were not guilty they were also swayed by these people they were lied to thanks to its sovereignty the selective love of God never violates legal rights in relationships with those people whom it selects, and it never allows the sovereign rights of its master to be violated. In a certain format, we have already studied the manifestation of the selective love of God and the virtues of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and patience, and we have stopped to study the virtue of the love of God and the mystery of her godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 It is through the manifestation of the fruit of godliness that we can identify the true love of God agape in the heart of man, as well as his thoughts, words, actions, the way in which he dresses, which must not excite the sexual instincts of the opposite sex. You mentioned that there exists a key difference in the godliness of God demonstrated in his favor toward man from the godliness of man which he must demonstrate in his love to God. So he must demonstrate godliness toward God. For example, the godliness of man is his favor to God, it's his goodness toward God and his gratitude. The godliness of man is to look upon orphans and widows in their afflictions, it's to keep yourself from being defiled by the world, it's to imitate Christ and think of what is heavenly, it's to seek God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. And the answer to this godliness of man God answers with his godliness it's his reaction that's why God's godliness or his favor toward man it's an answer to man's favor it's his gratitude for the fact that man having heard truth had demonstrated goodness toward this truth he decided to demonstrate obedience and God's godliness in relation to man is his goodness, his grace and favor, his favor and propitiation, it's his gratitude and grace, it's his good deed and good giving, it's his good in its absolute sense. This tells us that God in the heavens, there, for, in, there are no 
на своих детей, потому что всякое даяние доброе и всякий дал дар совершенно, пишет апостол Иаков, не сходит свыше от Отца Света, у которого нет тени перемены. When some saints say, God has given me this illness to humble myself. No, God doesn't do this. So that to give illnesses to his children so that he can humble them. It's just that when the people of children leave that place where God could defend them, then that illness in the face of Amalek could come upon them. It's not God, it's you yourself. With your disobedience had left this place of refuge. And then you say, God gave this to me. God doesn't do this. The Old and the New Testament define the virtue of the love of God in a discipline of godliness as one of the great mysteries of God himself that protects and makes the love of God impossible to falsify. Despite these characteristics that are called to yield the essence of godliness, a forgery of godliness exists that will challenge the true manifestation of godliness. Any kind of action of righteousness, there also exists a forgery. There is the bride of Christ, there's also the false bride. And that's why very many people in this world fall into the snares of the false bride. And you might say, are they guilty? Of course they're guilty because there exists the true bride and they have the decision or the choice between these brides. Why do they go to those churches where there are discos? that are perhaps even more professional to the disco balls that are to, to the disco services or concerts that are in this world. A child of God cannot run across the stage like a monkey. If you study scripture, Old and the New Testaments, you see the students in Christ himself who sit and who teach. They don't run around the stage. They don't run back and forth in order to demonstrate freedom. What kind of freedom are you demonstrating? This is evil before the eyes of God. And if you want to learn, sit like on a throne, does he stand before you and speak? Scripture says, I see the Lord sitting on the throne. And God spoke from this throne. Therefore, there exists a forgery of true godliness that will always challenge the true manifestation of true godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away, 2 Timothy 3.5. If we do not break off relations with people who only have an outward appearance of godliness, they will corrupt our godliness consisting of our good morals. Because of this, we, together with them, will inherit the destruction prepared for them. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, Apostle Paul writes in Corinthians. Do not sin, for I say that many of you do not know God. If you think that communicating with these people or thinking that nothing will happen in your essence, it will happen. You'll begin to have condemnation 
Why this stiffness? Why this severity? Why this conservative nature? Why can't we communicate with our close relatives? They haven't left anywhere, they just went to a different church. Take a look at how they went to the different church and what church they went to. If they went to the synagogue of Satan, then what? If they had mocked us, if they laughed at us, began to criticize, if they were not disciples, they were disciples but became inspectors, left as inspectors, nowhere is this accepted. Even Saint himself doesn't like inspector, inspectors. He also wants to search for disciples who are not going to inspect him but listen to him. When you are in false charismatic divisions, there is a dictatorship. If here is the order of love, theocracy, this is the order of love. If you want to obey, obey, but obey just as scripture tells you to. Then there in those false churches, it says, if, if you don't jump around with everyone, it means that you're going to be excommunicated. We have people who were in charismatic denominations or churches and they were excommunicated because they didn't jump very well. If you don't jump, on in Maidan in Ukraine that's it you are an enemy of the people even here in these charismatic churches if you don't jump you are going to be excommunicated and many churches uphold these rebellish people they ha uphold this rebellion this is very unfortunate why does the Orthodox Church had to take the torch away from the Protestants to not mix themselves in political realms? God had allowed something in this country to happen because many saints had wrote me, written to me, that they are upholding this transition. They are upholding this destruction in Ukraine. Many of them even had promised me that they're going to physically come here to America and physically kill me. That's how angry they were. They wrote to me directly, I am a Pentecost, but I uphold the rulership of this country in Ukraine. Can you imagine? You can't be a, a Christian and to be for Putin or for somebody else. They think that I am for Putin, for Trump. I'm not for any of these rulers. I'm not for political rulers. I'm only for Christ. Only for Christ. Live in your country and pray for the rulers in your country. It's uh, written that we pray for our kings and leaders, but this doesn't mean that we must say about their politics or penetrate into this political system. God allows these political uh, political things to occur because he is preparing the platform for the Antichrist to be revealed and for the thousand-year reign to come. All of this is coming to an end. And keeping this in mind, it was necessary for us to answer four classic questions. What characteristics does Scripture give godliness and God in man? What purpose is godliness intended to fulfill in relations between God and man and man with God? 
what conditions are necessary to fulfill for our godliness to cooperate with the godliness of God, and by what signs should we define that our godliness truly cooperates with the godliness of God? In a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have studied the character of the first three questions, and therefore we will turn our study to the fourth question. By what sign should we define that our godliness truly cooperates with the godliness of God? And one of the signs that our godliness cooperates with the godliness of God is that we are the thick and bright clouds of God filled with His moisture, able to swirl about by His guidance for correction or for mercy. Job chapter 37 verses 11 through 16 Also with moisture he saturates the thick clouds he scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth he causes it to come whether for correction or for his land or for mercy listen to this O Job stand still and consider the wondrous works of God do you know when God dispatches them and causes the, the light of his cloud to shine do you know how the clouds are balanced those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge to swirl about according to the guidance of God for correction or mercy is to be carriers of goodness and correction of the one who is perfect in knowledge. We must note once and for all that it is impossible to be a carrier of the goodness of God without the correction of God, just as it is impossible to be a carrier of correction without goodness. Specifically, this is one of the founding signs by which we must test ourselves for the partaking of our goodness to the goodness of God. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who felt severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in His goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. By expressing the goodness of God to some and the severity of God to others, we become carriers of His justice and His holiness. The phrase, do you know when God dispatches them and causes the light of His cloud to shine, points to the fact that not all clouds can be clouds that God guides and commands the light to shine from His cloud, but only those clouds that give God the foundation to contain His moisture which is confirmed by other scriptures. For example, in Job chapter 6, verses 8 through 9. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He will save those that are his, his thick clouds. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. Job 26, verses 8 through 9. And in order to distinguish the clouds of the Most High in the face of saints who fear God from the clouds alien to His nature, in the face of pseudo-saints who do not have the fear of the Lord, we need to know what characteristics does Scripture bestow on the clouds alien to God that are swirled by the winds that are opposed to His clouds carried by the wind of the Holy Spirit? And what characteristics does Christ bestow upon the clouds guided by the wind of the Holy Spirit, which are God's property and opposed to the clouds that are guided by the strange and seductive winds of delusion? 
которые носятся чуждыми и обольстительными ветрами заблуждения. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. This is what flesh in the lust of uncleanness is expressed in. They are presumptuous self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness, as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. There are those who consider themselves holy but are not so and are found in every congregation. Adultery is the desire of, of sex. When I look into these eyes, either in men or women, they only have sex in their heads and nothing else. And this beastly desire that is not controlled is quite horrific. God is not against sex itself. He had created it, but he had created it for a man and a woman who are in the marriage. Again, having eyes full of adultery in that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 9-17 through 17. Pay attention. The characteristic of these clouds, they are waterless, carried by a tempest. When people see a cloud and they need moisture, they wait. I have looked at the faces of people with what desire. They wait from the preacher when he says that he is going to reveal something to them. He says, I'm going to reveal something to you, reveal something, and he doesn't do so. But he almost causes you to think that he's about to tell you something so great, but in fact he doesn't. He screams one and the same phrase, only by faith, only by faith. But he doesn't say how to have faith, that there exists the faith of God and that there exists the faith of man. They don't explain what characteristics the faith of man has and the characteristics the faith of God has and how to cooperate with this faith, that what is necessary to do and how to prepare oneself for this cooperation. He only says, believe and have faith and it will happen. Someone thinks it's some kind of emotion. That's why many of them 
are in are swayed by winds of seduction and they try to actually literally walk along water and they try to walk through crocodiles or alligators believing that they're not going to be taken away they try to go into stores and to take that which belongs to them because all the whole earth belongs to them and that's why they say that this is not robbery and they end up in a psych unit someone asks them why are you taking this it's not yours and this person says it's mine the earth is God's and all that he fills with himself belongs to me and he is sent to a psych hospital but we understand these reasons why this occurs because people are not explained how to believe how can you how can they explain if they themselves don't know what faith is and proceeding from the characteristics that yield the clouds alien to God these are not people of this world but a category of lawless people who are in the midst of the saints imposing as people who have an outward form of godliness but have denied its power which always resists the category of godly people this is what Apostle Jude had written the brother of Christ but I want to remind you though you once knew this that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. This is talking about how this is an image that this is referring to in the literal sense when a man has relations with a man and a woman with a woman. Judah says in the spiritual sense, people who do not follow the person whom God has established, but who follow the person whom they themselves choose, that this is a spiritual sexual immorality. And they have gone after strange flesh. And they are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. This will happen. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. This means that they are not correctly acting, behaving toward devil. I have seen how they cast out Devin, devil. They don't understand what kind of opposer or this enemy this is. I saw one person and he told me how he cast out demons. He had came into someone else's home and he had cursed and swore Satan out of there. Another one, another pastor told me, Pentecostal pastor, he says, I don't believe in prayer. I was in Pentecostal prayer, I was at Pentecostal prayers, and they pray and they pray, demon, get out, and the demon's saying, no, I won't go. And then there was a revelation in this church that he had left, but he had left the crutches and I, w I had observed and had taken a look and saw what this pastor would do what are they going to do in this case when this demon is stubborn 
He got up on stage and he says, Satan, take all your belongings and leave. Take a look at what Christ had just simply said, I rebuke you, and that's it. He didn't call him with different names and bad names. And when they began to pray to him and say, do not he sent them into the pigs and pigs according to scripture you know what pigs are when Christ had sent these devils into the uh, demons into the pigs pigs are those who had made a covenant with God because pigs do not chew they are saints who had made a covenant with God who had perhaps been baptized and received all of this but they don't use these baptisms and they can't use them why? because in baptisms we enter into a covenant but by entering into a covenant we don't fulfill it and we have we do not study it they do not meditate upon God they have no meditation they don't chew and of course he has said this is an image he said these are the end times what is he going to do he is going to send the demons into the pigs and these synagogues will be called synagogues of Satan they're going to see hear different things someone's going to jump run around the stage I was at these services where I heard these screams of roosters and, and frogs and people had looked at this as if it was the Holy Spirit people had crawled on the floor and jumped around and these were big Pentecostal churches that did this I was at these services before I was present it doesn't mean that I was a member there I was I was just present there where people are groused by birth pangs and this is what Apostle Jude is writing about how even when Michael the archangel was contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses he dared not bring against him a royal accusation but simply said the Lord rebuke you but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in these things they corrupt themselves woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain why did this happen to them? they go the way of Cain because they bring their tithes and in these tithes they search not for the face of God as Abel had searched in the offerings but they search for blessings give me this and you'll receive this amount for they have gone in the way of Cain they have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah there are spots these are spots in your love feasts they will feast with you without fear serving only themselves and by perishing the rebellion of Korah they don't accept the message of God established before them they believe in their own heads and scripture says these are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear serving only themselves they are clouds without water carried about by the winds now he takes all of this and he unites and he says these are the, uh, the 
Waterless clouds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Jude chapter 1 verses 5 through 13. When he spoke about the wandering stars, uh, scientists don't yet understand this fact that there are uh, stars and planets that wander because all the stars that we see in heaven they are in a certain order everyone has their own orbit and they do not crash with one another and there is no chaos among them but wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever are black holes this is also God's order these wandering stars are stars that leave the orbit which they find themselves in and they do not go toward another go toward another planet but they are found in another order where they are kept this is the black hole that have no light they don't have light and it's difficult to discover them scientists say what these are black holes because this is the blackness of darkness in which God contains these stars because all planets that we see and all the stars that we see in heaven they somehow are a kind of shadow of every individual person and when these stars leave their orbit when the wicked lawless leave God God places them into these black holes the blackness of darkness forever and he is reserving them for punishment and this is the same thing that happens in heaven that's why when astrologists say oh look at this kind of asteroid this planet is going to crash when God is going to destroy the world he's not going to destroy so that planets hit other planets the planet itself each individual star in itself will be diminished its structure is going to fall to its initial elements this is what scripture says about this but people are fearful that something is going to crash against earth how you were talking about the laws of nature that everything is according to the law of nature and without the law of nature nothing exists what are you afraid of instead of being afraid they don't even know that these stars are going to fall apart through because of the sin of heaven because of the sin of the people of earth our ability to give God the foundation to fill us with his moisture and our willingness to pour out his light and be guided according to his intentions is our function the fulfillment of which is the expression of our goodwill towards God and the function to fill us with moisture so that we can be led by the Holy Spirit and directed according to the intentions of God this is the favor of God which is his answer to our favor to him expressed in our readiness to be filled with his moisture which refers refers to our longing and thirst to hearing the gospel word of truth. Our desire and our longing to hear the gospel word of truth. God looks at this as his as gratitude and he fills. This is an answer to our gratitude. 
God cherishes and values a person who desires the truth, that this person thanks him for this desire. And God answers this kind of desire with his truth. And to test ourselves on the subject of whether or not we meet the requirements of God's clouds, able to cooperate with the godliness of God, to give him the foundation, to fill us with the moisture of the Holy Spirit, to be led by his intentions, we will need to answer a series of questions. By what definitions does Scripture determine the requirements necessary to meet the requirements of the clouds of the Most High, filled with His moisture and pouring out His light? Second, what purpose are we called to fulfill in the dignity of the Heavenly Father's clouds, filled with His moisture and pouring out His light? What conditions are necessary to fulfill for God to affirm us in the dignity of His clouds, so that we are able to be filled with his moisture and pour out his light and by what science should we define that we are truly the clouds of the Most High able to be filled with his moisture and pour out his light and be guided by the wind of the Holy Spirit under the guidance of the Heavenly Father for correction and mercy when answering the questions posed we must bear in mind the essence of the existing parable tell us the eternal goals of God expressing his intentions which are our mission and our vocation which is comprised of being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect to do this you must pour your light from your cloud on the just and on the unjust and pour out the moisture received from God in the rain on the just and on the unjust. And secondly, we are called upon to pour out the moisture of the Heavenly Father in the rain and pour out His light according to His intention and not according to our whim or our own conclusion. In the New Testament, the meaning behind being clouds of God is presented in these words. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Which means that if we do not meet the requirements of God's clouds capable of being filled with moisture and pouring out light, one for correction and another for mercy, then our sonship is under a very big question. And so the first question, by what definitions does Scripture determine the requirements necessary to meet the requirements of the clouds of the Most High, filled with His moisture and pouring out His light? The image of physical clouds was viewed by Scripture as a category of people led by the Holy Spirit, as well as a category of people swayed by seductive winds or led by the spirit of seduction. And in order not to go in the wrong direction, we will look at the image of the clouds with reference to our destination and our vocation. And in particular, under the waterless clouds carried by the winds of all deceptive delusions alien to God, we will consider the category of people in the congregation of saints who do not have the Spirit of the Lord and oppose the Spirit of the Lord because by virtue of their carnal nature expressed in ignorance they are swayed and are carried away by every wind of teaching by the cunningness of men by the cunning art of deception while under the clouds of the Most High we will consider the category of saints led by the Holy Spirit by the new man created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness of truth 
And this means that the clouds of the Most High can only be those saints who have grown to the full measure of the stature of Christ and begin to meet the requirements of perfection inherent in God. I had studied how many times Scripture mentions the word clouds in relation to the, those who are holy and those who think that they are holy. And in different places of Scripture, it is mentioned more than 150 times, about as many times as the word truth is mentioned, about which it is said that it grows from a person's heart and reaches to the clouds or begins to meet the requirements of the clouds of the Most High. When it says, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, means that mercy is beginning to meet the requirements of God. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Mercy begins to answer to your clouds. Mercy grown in the heart. The clouds in the face of God's chosen remnant, at the head of which Christ stands and which constitute union with Christ, represent before God the truth that has arisen from the good soil of their heart and rushes toward the truth of God contained in His clouds, to which heaven clings God's mercy. And because God's mercy, which is sent from the heavens towards truth, the dignity of the clouds, married the truth that had arisen from the earth, God converted his goodwill to our earth, and our earth gave its fruit, fruit of death from our body, which gave God the foundation to wreck in our body the power of life. And this fruit of death was in the face of Methuselah. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Right now in our bodies we have the power of death. But the goal is for salvation to bring upon the power of life. Mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Psalms 85, verses 9-13. through 13. When will the earth give its fruit? When we are made clouds of the Most High. And when out of these clouds upon our earth we will pour out the rain of blessing and the rain of curse. We are going to bless our bodies and the living Philistines and our bodies and all raining sins in our bodies. We are going to destroy with the sun, with our sun and with our rains. Thus, it is the clouds of the Most High that are in His possession that are the image of His great mystery and are called upon to play a fateful role in the adoption and redemption of our body from the law of sin and death. And therefore, God, revealing Himself to Israel in the cloud of His glory, hid in this cloud the mystery of Christ and the person of His Church, made up of two nations, Israel and the Gentiles, reconciled to each other in the body of Christ by His death. As it is written, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me whom 
am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Ephesians 3, 4-11 Given that the scriptures mention clouds close to 150 times, then to answer each of the four questions we have, we will limit ourselves to seven components. And this will be enough to answer other places of scripture where we will see clouds being images. First, the cloud of the Most High in scripture is a symbol of the glory of God, place where God dwells, garments which God is clothed in and the midst from which he speaks. Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. So this cloud was the glory of the Lord. And it covered six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Exodus 4 verses 15 through 18. The cloud of glory, which is a sacred midst in which God dwells, which overshadowed Mount Sinai into the darkness of which Moses entered, and from which God spoke to Moses, on the one hand, this is the category of the saints led by the Spirit of God in whom Christ dwells, and who are clothed with Christ. On the other hand, through this category of saints, God speaks and shows the unsearchable wealth of His glory. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this ministry, mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1 verses 26 through 27. Second, the cloud of the Most High in Scripture is a garment and swaddling band when it burst forth and issued from the womb. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, in thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, This far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. So the clouds was made the garment of the sea and the swaddling band, and it placed a limit to the waves. First, the fierce waves of the sea erupting and emanating as if from the womb in the dignity of the clouds of the Most High are waves of corrupting passions in the human body erupting from the womb of his old man that is born of the seed of the word of truth. And therefore God, through our new man, who meets the requirements of his clouds, put limits to the passions and desires of the emotional sphere of our soul, behind which stands our old man. We are referring to our body. 
Secondly, the fierce waves of ferocity and tumult that God, through his clouds and the face of men sent by him in the church, set limits are in the congregation of saints, carnal people who do not have the Spirit of God. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Jude chapter 1, verses 13 through 19 third the cloud of the most high in scripture is the glory of the lord coming out of the north like a raging fiber then i looked and behold a whirlwind was coming out of the north a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its mist like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire ezekiel 1 4 through 5. so the image of a whirlwind like a raging fire coming out of the north is our partaking to the death of the lord jesus thanks to which we have the partaking to his resurrection which gives us the authority to be raised in christ jesus from the north and from the rising of the sun call upon the name of the lord and trample down the princes as though mortar as the potter treads clay in Christ Jesus to be raised from the north from the rising of the sun and call upon the name of the Lord and the authority on the right to trample the princes like mortal as a prouder treads clay is written in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 25 I have raised up one from the north and he shall come from the rising of the sun he shall call on my name and he shall come against princes as though mortar as a potter treads clay we are talking about Christ, but in fact this includes the church. You know in scripture there it says, Saul had overcome thousands, but David tens of thousands. Well, we know that this was the army of Saul, and this was the army of David. It is written that Abraham gave given birth to Isaac, and Isaac gave birth to Jacob, but we know very well that Sarah had given birth to them. They had done this together. Same thing, Christ himself could not be raised up from the north because the north is the place where a sacrifice for sin is brought up on the north side of the altar. He himself could not be raised up from the north because we died along with him in the baptism. He did not die by himself. When he had died, God placed the church together with him. It was in him from the beginning of the creation of the word, world and earth. From the creation of the earth, the church of Jesus Christ was found in Christ Jesus. And when Christ had died, he died along with her. And then, together with her, he was resurrected. Scripture says that we have died with him, we will resurrect with him. 
That's why we must understand that we are talking about the death and resurrection of Christ through communion to which we can call upon the name of the Lord and trample upon the rulers of sin in our body like dirt and trample like a potter treads clay. In order to partake to the death and resurrection of Christ, we must arrange ourselves in his sanctuary, on the south side of which there must be a lamp of pure gold, and opposite, on the north side, there must be a golden table for bread offerings. You shall set the table outside the veil in the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south, and you shall put the table on the north side. Exodus 26, verse 35. We have repeatedly noted that everything that God will do through us, as through his clouds of glory, and in particular, trace us from the north, so that we can call upon his name from the rising sun, and trample upon the masters of sin in our body, and trample them like clay, he will make through the mind of Christ, referring to the rational sphere of our new man, who is the image of the golden lamp standing on the southern side of the sanctuary in our spirit. Fourth, the cloud of the Most High and the dignity of His glory is presented in Scripture in the category of those saints in whose bodies God has reigned, because of which they became joy for every good land and joy for a multitude of isles. The Lord reigns, let earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. So clouds and darkness surround Him, surrounding He is sustained there, and His surrounding are clouds and darkness. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. A fire goes before Him and burns up His enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and tremples. Psalms 97 verses 1 through 4. The phrase, clouds and darkness surround him, points to the category of saints in which God finds himself in, who have become his refuge. He had covered himself with this cloud. The phrase righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne points to the fact that this category of saints and the dignity of the clouds of his glory became the throne of his righteousness and justice and three substances of our essence. We have already noted that the throne of righteousness and justice and the spirit of a person, which is the cloud of the glory of the Lord, which is God's refuge, is the good conscience of man. The good conscience of man, why? Because it has been cleansed from dead works and the teaching of Jesus Christ has been placed into it. In the throne of righteousness and justice and the soul of a man, we have three substances, and here when we're looking at the throne of the soul of man, which is the cloud of glory of the Lord, which is God's refuge, is the thinking of man that is renewed by the spirit of his mind. The mind of Christ. When our mind, our carnal mind, is made dependent on the mind of Christ, from the reasonable sphere of our new man, this is the throne of righteousness and justice and the body of man which is the cloud of the glory of the Lord which is God's refuge is the rod of his lips that proclaims the faith of his heart which is the righteousness of God and justice of God 
When we begin to proclaim the faith of our heart, our lips become his rod, and then the words that we speak are equal to the words of God that come from the mouth of God. The phrase, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad, points to the saints in whose bodies God has reigned. They will be joy for the category of saints who, through instruction and faith, have cleansed their conscience from dead works. Because islands is referring to the category of saints who, through instruction and faith, through sanctification, cleanse their conscience from dead works in order to serve God. An island covered with water, these islands is referring to true sanctification that a person has gone through com true sanctification. When Elijah had bring his offering in order to separate himself, he had commanded that 12 buckets of water be fill a trough that was dug around the altar. He became this island, sanctified, and he said, Lord, I have done everything according to your word. And God had seen that he did truly do any, everything according to his word. He was separated from his people. The fire came upon the altar, the sacrifice. And those that were surrounding, they saw the Lord is God, the Lord is God, when they had seen this happen. And before this, they were saying that Baal is God. We need to know that in Scripture, islands and coastlands are not just placed in Scripture for no reason. They refer to sanctification. Who waits for the Lord? Those, those who are coastlands. Many people think that sanctification is going to evangelize to Africa, to Mexico. They are they believe that what they do is going to lead them to heaven and this will not be so and heaven is allowed the fruit of the spirit a changed character obedience to authority beautiful in elevation the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north the city of the great king Psalms 48 2 the phrase, a fire goes before him and burns up his enemies round about, his lightnings light the world, the earth sees and trembles, points to saints in whose bodies God reigns, who will destroy their enemies who consider themselves Jews but are not so and are instead the synagogue of Satan. This is what God says about his clouds. You are my battle axe and weapons of war, for with you I will break the nation in pieces, with you I will destroy kingdoms, with you I will break in pieces the horse and its rider, with you I will break in pieces the chariot and its rider, with you also I will break in pieces man and woman, with you I will break in pieces old and young, with you I will break in pieces the young man and the maiden, with you also I will break in pieces the shepherd and his flock, with you I will break in pieces the farmer and his yoke of oxen, and with you I will break in pieces governors and rulers, and I will pay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 51 verses 20 through 24. You see that 
this cloud that is going, what, is, what it's going to do, because the image of Babylon is an image of carnal people who mix divine revelations with the wisdom of man. And because they mix these divine revelations, he says, you are my battle axe and weapons of war, and for with you I will break the nation in pieces, meaning I will break the nation who mixes divine revelations with the wisdom of man. I will destroy kingdoms, I will break in pieces the horse and its rider, the chariot and its rider, the man and the woman, meaning I will destroy all of Babylon. Fifth, the cloud of the Most High and the dignity of His glory is in the category of saints who died through the law to the law, by virtue of which their bodies became the image of the tabernacle of the congregation into which Moses, as a minister of the Old Testament, could not enter when the cloud of glory filled the tabernacle. And the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This cloud is glory, and it filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 35. The glory of the Lord emanating from the law of Moses is a glory that could not justify a man, because it was called to reveal sin and give strength to sin. But the image of the glory of the Lord, which filled the tabernacle of the congregation into which Moses could not enter, was an image of glory that bears within itself the justification of Christ. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19-21 to Despite the fact that Moses' face shone with the glory of the Lord, he could not enter the tabernacle of meeting, because a cloud of glory that covered the tabernacle of the Lord represented status and dignity, a completely different glory, superior to the glory from which so that the glory coming from the face of Moses ceased to be glory. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the mystery of condemnation had glory, the ministry of the righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This is referring to the fact that this is freedom, liberty from sin, and slavery to sin. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Unfortunately, our time has concluded.
That's why we are going to pray. We will bow our knees for whom it is possible, or bend our knees and bow our heads. And we will thank God for that word that we were able to have today and understand that God desires for each of you to become his belonging, to be his cloud that could be led by the Holy Spirit to be that could shine with his light on the just and the unjust and pour out its rains on the unjust and on the just some for correction others for mercy and first and foremost we're going to understand that mercy and correction must first occur in our bodies rather than outside we all desire for our passions to be destroyed in us and through our the proclamation of our faith for God to destroy the old man with his works and to build in our body his glory so that we become clouds of his glory not just in our spirit and our soul where our mind is submissive to the mind of Christ but in our body all of this is possible for each of us God can do this if you be become witness to this. Remember, if he has allowed you to conceive, he allowed you to give birth. Therefore, the thoughts that devil saints that you're not going to have enough time is false. He is the father of all lies. Don't believe him. We will pray together and all who desire to challenge any kinds of fears, any kinds of forms of sin and chains. We wait for you. The Lord is in this place. He can destroy the chains of death, illness, poverty, sin, dependencies on sin. He is for you. He is not against you. Amen. May we pray. I will pray with you with your prayers, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He is not against you. He has enough strength to break any change of dependency, to rid you of shame, to rid you of illness, to rid you of premature death, to prepare you so that out of your bodies the power of death is destroyed and in its place could be erected the power of resurrection. Your eyes closed as an element of a mystery room, your hands raised to the heavens. This is a sign that you are lifting your hands up without anger. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. My heart is opened. I ask you, Rid me of my shame. Wash my sins. Throw them into the lake of fire, according to your word. Heal me from illnesses that have come upon me due to my sin. Demonstrate your mercy to me and restore my justification. Give me your communication. Demonstrate your resurrection to me. I love you. I desire your salvation. My heart is opened. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, 
I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come upon you with His holy face and have mercy upon you and may He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands around you and not come near you. May your, the blessings of the everlasting mountains and hills come upon you. May the Lord demonstrate your mercy toward you. May He destroy your chains and free you from every sin and from every dependency. May upon your head come upon the blessings of the everlasting hills and mountains. May all of this come upon you and upon your descendants, and may it be fulfilled upon you. And let the nation say, Amen. God is faithful to His Word. When He does something, He will never use our emotions. He always uses our mind and our will. And our feelings are already, already belong to our mind and our will, and we must lead our emotions after us. When people try to feel whether or not God has has forgiven them when they want to feel this, they'll never it'll never happen. Because God is not found in emotions. God works not with your emotions. He works with your mind. And do you with your mind work with your emotions? Tell your soul and tell your emotions why you cast down my soul. I believe in the unchanging words of God that if He has spoken it, He will fulfill it. I have fulfilled His word. I have confessed my sin. And I believe that He has justified me. Emotions, co go forth and let us praise God. Now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.